This message comes from NPR sponsor, the Capital One Venture X Card. Earn unlimited 2X miles on everything you buy. Plus, get access to a $300 annual credit for bookings through Capital One Travel. What's in your wallet? Terms apply. Details at CapitalOne.com. This is World Cafe. I'm Raina Duris. When the world around you seems uncertain, when the foundation under you gets shaky, you might find yourself holding on extra tight to the things you can control. Slater Kinney's Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker have been making music together for around three decades. And when Carrie's mother and stepfather were killed in a car accident in late 2022, the band and the music became that steady thing Carrie could hold on to. Little Rope is Slater Kinney's 11th studio album, and coming up, Carrie and Corin discuss how it transformed in the aftermath of that tragedy, how immersing herself in music helped Carrie deal with grief, and why it was important for Corin to take on the majority of the vocals on the record. They also get into working with producer John Congleton, who's worked with artists like Blondie, The Killers, and Lucy Dacus. And they talk about why Little Rope feels like a new era for Slater Kinney. Our conversation is coming up after this live performance, which was recorded and mixed for World Cafe by Tristan Dolce with assistance from Matt Blake at 88.5 The SoCal Sound in L.A. Here's Slater Kinney, Hell.
Performed live for the World Cafe, that was Hell, the opening track from Slater Kinney's new album, Little Rope. I'm Raina Duras. I'm joined by Slater Kinney today. Corin Tucker and Carrie Brownstein are here with me. Corin, Carrie, welcome back to the World Cafe. Thanks for having Thanks us. So much. I can't believe it's been almost three years since you were last on this show, maybe two and a half. Yeah, we're happy to be here. And uh, we're very excited about Little Rope, which is the album that Hell is on. And it's that's a, a fun song to play live. It's a pretty arresting way to begin the record. It has that that sparse opening and the lines, uh, hell don't have no worries, hell don't have no past. Uh, and, and you sing about a young man with a gun. It's kind of hard not to think about the state of the world or, you know, America when you hear that song. Could you talk about the decision to open the album that way? I think that song has kind of what we were looking for when we were writing in terms of it's a very personal story. It's supposed to be a very close moment that puts you in the shoes of someone in a very disorienting space, but it's looking out, you know, it's, it's reflecting kind of what we're going through as a country, as a people. It's not just a story of, of one person that it is meant to reflect kind of what we're going through, you know, in the world today. Yeah. I think it also gives the listener a false sense of calm, which I think this album really explores, you know, states of unease and uncertainty and just the unpredictability and precariousness of of life. Yeah. And you have unpredictability and uh, the chaos on a macro scale, the world, but you also zoom in uh, on, on a personal scale too. It was influenced by grief on a very personal scale. I know after you'd begun writing songs for this album in 2022, Carrie, you found out that your mother and stepfather uh, had died suddenly while on vacation in Italy. Um, Corin, you were the one who got the original phone call from the Italian embassy. What, what do you guys remember from that day? Um, I mean, it was a really awful day. <laughs> and I remember getting the phone call and being like, this is a prank. This is someone trying to get a hold of Carrie's phone number. Or this doesn't make any sense. I'm not you know, I just, I made the, the woman like text me her, her credentials, you know? And then when I found out, when I was looking at it, I was like, oh, this seems serious. It seems like she's a legitimate embassy person. I, 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 I had a very strong sense of, you know, of foreboding, but I didn't, we had no idea what was what was wrong. Um, and it turned into a very tragic day, for sure. Yeah. I know that um, some of the songs on the album were written before your mother passed away, right, Carrie? And then a bunch were written after. And some, I understand, were kind of rewritten or reworked. Um, how did things change in the studio after receiving that news? I mean, not that day, but I mean, in general. I think... It just raised the stakes of the album, and I felt very certain that whatever we were doing had to have a sense of meaning. I think grief is a very, there's an incoherency to it. There's a misshapen feeling uh, to grief because you you lose track of your edges as a as a human. You sort of are thrust into this kind of shapeless, nebulous realm. And it makes you feel very 
vulnerable and fragile. And I think especially when people die suddenly, you are just hyper aware of, you know, this, the almost really the miracle that any of us, you know, continue to wake up every day and just not die. It, yeah. It's, um, so when we went back into the studio and as we continued to write, there was just this caretaking. I, I felt like all of the things that I had been unable to control, I, I wanted to, it wasn't about being controlling a perfectionist, but I wanted to tend to, you know, I wanted the ritual of crafting music and of, of being careful with it. And so we just labored over guitar parts and lyrics and arrangement and just kind of rebuilt this brokenness. Uh, so even though the songs, you know, some of them were were written, I just would listen and and think about what's missing because mm -hmm. all I was dealing with personally was what was missing. And I thought, well, in this realm with with songs, I can fill in the missing parts. I can't do that in my life, but I can do this with the album. Yeah. I know, um, Corin, you sang a lot on the album, and I want to get into that a little later on. But first, we're going to hear you guys perform another song from the album live, and then we'll come back and we'll talk some more. The song we're going to hear you play is Hunt You Down, and it has an immediately memorable refrain, the thing you fear the most will hunt you down. Um, and and could, Carrie, could you tell us where that line came from? Yeah, I was listening to an interview with a poet and undertaker, Thomas Lynch. He works out of Michigan and he was telling the story of meeting with uh, bereaved parents who had lost a very young child. And the father said about the loss of his child, the thing you fear the most will hunt you down. And Thomas Lynch was very struck by that. And I was in turn very struck by, again, just the the raw truth of that statement and that it could apply to so many things. You know, th there are, there are very few certainties in life, but we often live with that sense that, you know, our, our greatest fears and worries um, are, are out to get us. And the ultimate fear, of course, which is for most of us of dying and sort of ceasing to exist, that will catch up with us. And, but it, you know, it's what to do with that. It's it's how to transform that that fear into a version of a life that has meaning, uh, into moments of of happiness and and ecstasy, and you know, just yeah, the the mess of living, I guess, is yeah. the task for all of us. Let's hear the uh, the live performance of "Hunt You Down." This is Slater Kinney on World Cafe.
Love that song. Slater Kinney performing Hunt You Down live for the World Cafe. It's from their new album, Little Rope. I'm joined by Corin and Carrie of Slater Kinney today. I'm Raina Duris. So like we were talking about before, this might be an album that was influenced by grief, but it isn't something that's depressing. It's not like this miserable slog of an album. There's energy. <laughs> uh, I can imagine jumping up and down in a crowd and yelling along to Hunt You Down. Um, when you're performing these songs for an audience, how does how does grief change its shape? Is there a catharsis there? I think that's that's one of the most amazing things about playing music live is that it the songs do transform in front of an audience. And something that is dark or sad or painful can transform when you share it with someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I also think one of my favorite aspects of playing live is the sheer spontaneity and unpredictability of that setting. So you are forced to reckon with the moment and you you can start a song that might be about something that's that's painful or hurtful or heartbreaking, but you don't know what the how the audience is meeting you. And it's a it's a collective sense of uh, you know, emotion and humanity. And you might be met with people that are there to have a great time, that are bringing a sense of 
love and spiritedness and, you know, silliness. And that, and suddenly that's what that song is that night. You know, that, yeah. that song is a love song. And I, I think to have to reckon with the moment is something that, you know, we all try to put off, right? We all try to sort of overly curate or prescribe or predict, you know, uh, and rein in the, the chaos and mess of things. But that's not what live music is, that yeah. you, you have to embrace the the actual sort of chaos and the discomfitting nature of of self, you know, at that point. And yeah, so that's that's why we love to take these songs out live. Well, it's also, it's so amazing because uh, so many things that people write songs about, grief or loss or pain or anger, can feel so isolating when you're in the moment or when you're even listening sometimes to the song on your own. When you're in a live group with a bunch of people listening to it, it can, like you're saying, it can totally, totally change. Yeah. You know, especially when you get to play year after year. I mean, for us, you know, I, I've come full circle on songs. Like a song like Modern Girl Off the Woods, you know, that at first that that had kind of a bittersweet quality to it. And then it felt like it was just celebratory. And then it, sometimes it comes back around to something that feels, you know, I'm like, oh, that there's there's something very sad about this song. You know, it just, I love that. The, the story is ongoing. Yeah. With music. Let's listen to a bit of Modern Girl from The Woods. This is Slater Kinney on World Cafe. My baby loves me. I'm so happy. Happy makes me a modern girl. Took my money and bought a TV. TV brings me closer to the world. My whole life looks like a picture of a sunny day. My whole life looks like a picture of a sunny was Modern Girl from Slater Kinney. I'm Raina Duras talking to Carrie and Corin of Slater Kinney today. Corin, you do most of the singing on Little Rope, uh, and that's largely because Carrie asked you to and wanted you to do it. Uh, Carrie, why did you need to hear Corin sing on these songs? I wasn't totally sure, but it was confirmed in the studio that because I was in a place that was very tender and fragile, my what I could contribute to this record was in the in the writing and in the arrangement and in the reharmonizing and in the playing, but not so much in the singing. I just didn't have the strength uh, because I was in a state of grief and I needed to hear Korn's voice. This is a voice that I have been listening to since I was 18 or 19 with the first band, Heavens to Betsy. And then, of course, as my bandmate and Slater Kinney. It's one of my favorite voices of all time. And I I needed her to sing. I needed her to convey what I couldn't. Uh, and her voice is bigger than I am. And I often felt small and di diminished uh, just from, yeah, just the state I was in. And so... I think Corin's voice allowed it. It creates such a big space, mm. you know. It's it just it it blows it knocks the walls down and breaks the windows and suddenly there's there's air in there and there's life and there's the rest of the world, you know. And and I had kind of 
I was stuck in an insularity um, and sort of cocooned. And Corn's voice has a way of dismantling all that. And it just, it's oxygen. Corin, uh, obviously you did sing those songs, um, but, and you, and you both have sung each other's words before, but this, you know, you're being trusted with this, these personal words, these, this very personal thing. What do you think about when you're, when you're singing something that Carrie's written that is, is so personal? It's something that comes from writing together from when we were really young is that, you know, ability to kind of get into the other person's headspace and the other person's mind frame and try and finish the other person's sentence, you know, but when Carrie and I write, it's almost like we're two sides of the same coin. You know, like I, I can get close to what she's feeling, but when I'm singing, I'm kind of, I kind of take it further. I kind of take it to this grander, more dramatic point sometimes, because that's sort of what suits my singing voice and the way that I can sort of dramatize the moment, you know, like she's, she's very, she's a very cerebral person. She's like super intellectual, very big brained. And I'm more of like a, just a belter as a singer, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of want to go right to the heart of what's going on. And I, and it's going to be very raw. Where does that love of belting come from? I think that, you know, when Carrie was talking about wanting to have this voice that's bigger than you feel like yourself is, it's like, that's something that I wanted to do with singing is to create this persona that was larger than life, you know, that was imposing, that was powerful, you know, to, to gain that power on stage that you sometimes don't feel in life. You don't feel like you have access to that's the reinvention of self that can happen with music. It can happen with theater and it's life-changing and it can make your characters you can give your characters all kinds of power to change things and to do things that you don't feel like you can do with do in your regular life. Let me quickly reintroduce you. I'm talking to Corin and Carrie of Slater Kinney. They have a new album called Little Rope on World Cafe. I'm Raina Duras. Uh, Little Rope was produced by John Congleton, who's produced for, I mean, literally, I think, Almost everybody. If you look at his Wikipedia page, it's bonkers. He's worked with everyone from The Killers to Nile Rodgers to Lucy Dacus to Angel Olsen to Lou Bega. Um, he won a Grammy for his work with St. Vincent, but he had never worked with you two until this album. And uh, you self-produced your last album. Why was this one the right one to work on with John? Well, you know, one thing we love about John is that he's not overly precious with Slater Kinney. We're here to protect, obviously, like we we nurture and protect what we value in our band, but we have made the albums where we just go into the studio and kind of document it. Like we are interested in the exploration of the songs and to, um, you know, sort of deconstruction and then rebuilding in the studio to exploration, innovation, tone hunting, getting the best performance, you know, finding not what's perfect, but what's perfect for the song, you know, letting things stay messy, you know, embracing the ugliness. Like John is just so in line with all of that. And he's just, he's kind of sly and funny 
and he works quickly, which we also do love. Like we're not in a studio to sort of just languish and, and get indulgent about it. Like we like to get in there and, you know, sort of put our heads down and work. And John's the same way. Okay, well, the next song that we're going to hear you play live is Say It Like You Mean It. And I know that when you were working on it, uh, John gave some feedback to you, Corin, that you didn't love in the moment. And then you kind of came around to it. What did he say? He just said, you know, like Terry said, he's he's blunt. And he was just like, mm, I don't think this is the right vocal for this song. I don't think you're quite there yet. You know, not unkind, just, just like matter of fact. Like, I don't think we've, found it yet and of course you know I I my ego was like oh you know just <laughs> just so frustrated in the moment but that's part of the process you know he wasn't unkind at all he was just he was just you know just giving us that perspective but you know for me that meant I had to like take some space just soothe my wounded big ego and go home and and think about the song. And I literally had to like go to sleep. And I did wake up in the middle of the night. I had this other idea, you know, I kept the lyrics the same, but I, I rewrote the vocal melody and it was, you know, it was, it definitely changed the song. And as soon as I came in with that, the next day I said, John, I have an idea, you know, he was like, okay, yes. So he will start here and then we can go here. You know, it's, it's like he, he immediately, you know, he's a great collaborator, great producer, not unkind at all, you know, but it, but it's, it's that process that is uncomfortable in the studio when you're collaborating and it's someone you trust and you respect is like that, you know, you don't quite have it yet, you know, and, but the, the outcome is that he pushed me in a way that probably I wouldn't have gotten from very many other people. Perform live for World Cafe. Say it like you mean it. This is Slater Kinney.
Say It Like You Mean It, Slater Kinney in a performance recorded live for the World Cafe. Carrie and Corin of Slater Kinney hanging out with me today. I'm Marina Duris. The new album is called Little Rope. Um, uh, Carrie, you said in Rolling Stone that to you, this album signals the next era of Slater Kinney. Uh, could you elaborate on that? Why does this album specifically feel like a shift for you? Well, after having been in this band nearly three decades, it's hard not to think of it in chapters or eras. It just, you know, it it really isn't just one long, continuous, homogenous journey. You know, there are so many iterations, uh, or it feels like that as you sort of look back and assess. Um, I think, you know, the, the album before this, Path of Wellness, just was a pandemic era record. You know, it just felt, it had that insularity to it. Uh, it, it felt kind of shut off from the world. And when we endeavored to make Little Rope, we had the opposite in mind. We wanted to have something that reached out and grabbed people and connected and had a, a feistiness to it, had a direness to it, uh, you know, rage and joy and all of the things that I think Slater Kinney is such a wonderful vessel for. Well, to close out, we're going to go back to the very beginning, back to your first era, I guess you could say, because uh, you performed a song for us from your first album from 1995 called Slow Song. Uh, how did you decide that this was one you wanted to revisit for us? Slow Song, by the way, as a caveat, on our self-titled album, which we recorded in Australia of all places, um, we, at the last three songs of this on the album, don't have proper titles. It's like Slow Song, Laura's Song, Last Song. So if you're wondering <laughs> why is this song called Slow Song and also it's not very slow, just remember that we were very young and had, <laughs> uh, anyhow, we uh, we do try to tune into what our fans are saying. And it's, you know, when you have 11, 11 albums, you can sometimes default to playing the same songs live. And what I think we realize as we set forth for this Little Rope tour is that, you know, potentially we've just kind of been like existing in the same sort of sphere in terms of live songs. Like we keep kind of going back into the, you know, the sort of predictable songs when really we have, you know, almost a hundred songs to choose from. And so we started to, well, we always do, but we were looking at the comments that people would leave when we had announced the tour dates of songs they wanted to hear. And this song kept coming up. Um, and I also noticed when people were writing about the songs they had listened to last year, you know, their top songs, that this song also kept coming up. And I thought, that's so weird. But then I realized that it kind of falls into that sad girl song <laughs> category. <laughs> um, and anyway, I, I, what I just love is the reconsideration of our own, you know, catalog. I, that's not something that I, you know, usually do. I I, I always feel like, I know which songs I'm comfortable with, or I know which songs are my favorite, but I appreciate the fans' perspective and the way that they can they allow me to reassess and hear anew something that you know we made years and years ago. So we decided to play slow song uh, for World Cafe, and we will be playing it on tour. Nice. I mean, what does it feel like to to come back to a song that you haven't really played a lot? That was from your first record after, you know, almost three decades playing together. I mean, I guess three decades playing together. Yeah. 
it was a joy to to relearn it and be like, oh, we wrote this so long ago, but it's it's a good song and it and it's very emotional in a weird way. It fits really well with a little rope songs because it is it's very much like um it has that same intensity and that heart to it, I think. And so I think that it in a way it's it's perfect that we'll be doing it on tour. For World Cafe, this is Slater Kinney with Slow Song. Live for the World Cafe, you just heard Slater Kinney performing Slow Song. That song's from their 1995 debut self-titled album. They have a new album out now called Little Rope. Carrie Brownstein and Corin Tucker of Slater Kinney have been my guests today. Carrie, Corin, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really fun. Thanks for having yeah, us. Great. I'm Raina Duras, back in a moment with more World Cafe. Last year, over 20,000 people joined the Body Electric study to change their sedentary, screen-filled lives. And guess what? We saw amazing effects. Now you can try NPR's Body Electric Challenge yourself. Listen to updated and new episodes wherever you get your podcasts. Support for NPR and the following message come from IXL Online. Is your child asking questions on their homework you don't feel equipped to answer? IXL Learning uses advanced algorithms to give the right help to each kid, no matter the age or personality. One subscription gets you everything. One site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And NPR listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com NPR. This message comes from NPR sponsor Mint Mobile. From the gas pump to the grocery store, inflation is everywhere. 
So Mint Mobile is offering premium wireless starting at just $15 a month. To get your new phone plan for just $15, go to mintmobile.com slash switch.